I'm going to dive into the Word of God because I have a lot to cover, and I know this because I just did it, um, and I apparently had more to cover than we had time for. So I'm going to I'm going to dive right in, and so yeah, we can go over in this one. We don't have to clean the facility right after. Yeah, so um, so grab your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43, and today I'm starting a news series of messages called What's new what's new and and here's where the, the the series came from so it started with this phrase i kept hearing i can't wait till we get back to normal and 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 my thought in that because i felt like over the last month or so the holy spirit really has been speaking to me so many things about pathway and about what what he wants to do and i thought why why go back to what's normal why not go back to what's new it's like back to the future, only don't pick 2020. Like Marty McFly, whatever you do, don't put 2020 in the Deloitte. Anyways, um, but, but I, I thought so many people are wanting to get back to normal, and I don't think normal's, we're never getting back to normal. But I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, I want you not to get back to what's normal, um, and I don't want you to think about what's next. I want you to think about what's new. I don't want you to think about what, because you know, this 2020, has, has it not been that year like, dear God, what's next? So there can be some foreboding to it, right? Like, dear God, what's next? And then we can also get caught up in the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, but God's always doing a new thing. Come on, DC Talk from circa 1990. Come on, he's doing it. God is doing a new thing. And you gotta say thang. Can you say that? Can you say that at home? Put that in the chat, thang. Don't cuss, thing, okay? And so, um, but, but God is doing something new and I just felt like we're not supposed to think about what's next. We're not supposed to go back to what's normal. We're supposed to go into what is new. And, and so I want to talk about it. So we're going to jump to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43, uh, verse 19, is where Pathway has its namesake. That's, that's where we're, we're actually, your name's in the Bible. I'll read it in a minute. Don't jump ahead. But Isaiah um, 43 is where we're going to be at. And Isaiah um, is an interesting book of the Bible. It's, it, he's a major prophet. Um, one of the most incredible prophets, quoted most out of any prophet in the New Testament. Um, but what's so interesting about the book of Isaiah is it's kind of divided into parts. So you have chapters 1 through 39, and then you have chapters 40 through 48, and then, and then you have 49 through 66. And it's like the Bible in a Bible. There's a lot about Isaiah, and I don't want to just give you a bunch of facts because I know this morning as you were eating your waffles, you were thinking, man, I really hope he explains some things about Isaiah because um, I know that's what you want to talk about over lunch. But anyways... Um, <clears throat> But, but here's the crazy thing. Isaiah prophesies, chapters 1 through 39, are this judgment and hope that he, he prophesies because he's like, Israel has already gone off the rails like the northern kingdom's gone south. Judah is, is playing with idol, idol worship and those type of things, so it's not going well either. And then it, we know Isaiah's timeline is the king, year King Uzziah died, so about 720 BC. And, and so Isaiah is then baptized into this ministry as a prophet, essentially. Um, and and he starts talking about God's going to raise up the Assyrians and the Babylonians to, to enact judgment against Israel because they've turned their back on God. Now, here's the crazy thing. It doesn't happen for over 100 years. And by the time it all starts happening, Isaiah's dead. Right, And then like the Assyrians coming, they take the northern kingdom, and then everybody's in captivity in, in Babylon, right? And, and then they get out, like, then it, they get out Isaiah's scrolls, and, and some people believe Isaiah, like, came back in some kind of form. Some people believe he had disciples, and he'd written everything in scrolls, and that's actually referenced, like, in chapter 8 and that time. So they get out all the scrolls and said, hey, we might want to pay attention to what Isaiah said, because he kind of predicted this, like, 100 years ago, right? And so, so then... Um, they, he also predicted uh, then the, the Persians would, would overthrow the Babylonians and that would set God's people free um, from Babylonian captivity and now they need to return to the promised land. But here's the problem. Between, between captivity in Babylon and the promised land, there's all this wilderness and now you've got a generation of people who were raised in exile and captivity and so they're comfortable, kind of like, the like the Israelites would say, we want to go back to Egypt where our beds are. They're kind of like, well, you know, we kind of like it here in Babylon. 
on. And so, and so now God is speaking to them in, in chapters 40 through 48 about this, this, all that he wants to do in and through them. And it's about this new thing that God wants to do. And some of it is prophetically speaking to the time of the Messiah, but all of it is by the Spirit speaking to us. And so uh, Isaiah 43 um, here, here we go. Isaiah 43, verse 14. It says, this is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon. That would be Persia. Forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they're so proud of. I just like that statement. I wanted to read this from the NLT because I just like it how what he says is the weapon the enemy brought against you that will become what they need to get away from you. So, so I like that. Anyways, I am the Lord, your Holy One. This is verse 15, Israel's creator and king. I'm the Lord. Now he's going to talk about the Exodus. I'm the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt and all its chariots and horsemen, and I drew them beneath the waves and drowned them. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering wick. I like that because they were the most incredible military power of the day. And, and have you ever put a candle out with your fingers? Like, it's kind of what God said. Like, oh yeah, they were amazing. <laughs> I just like that. I also think if you study this, it could have been he just went, Whoosh. yeah, like I didn't even move. Yeah, amazing power. They were going to defeat you. Oh, I'm sorry. I killed them all. Anyways, um... <laughs> It's just the way that I, you, you know, someone said, you know, how do you find this stuff in the Bible? I'm like, well, you need a little time and to be ADD. Um, and so, <laughs> um, anyways, driven either way, snuffed them out like a smoldering, I like that. But he says, now think about this. This is the greatest deliverance the earth had ever seen. And then the next phrase, but forget all that. Hey, turn to your neighbor, put it in the comments, put it in the chat. Just look at him and say, forget about it. Come on, in your best, like, New York Italian. Forget about it. Forget about it. Here's what he said. That amazing deliverance where I went and killed all the Egyptians. Forget about that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. There it is. Come on, he's doing a new thing. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Now, here's where our name comes from. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. Come on. Madonna was not the first one to make it through the wilderness. Ethel, <laughs> who's Madonna? Anyways, um, <laughs> man, if you can get DC Talk, Jesus, God, and Madonna all in like three minutes, you're anointed. Anyways, um, but he said, I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers. I will create rivers. You know, we're always worried about God can provide what you need. I just felt that I had said this, but he doesn't have to provide it. He can create it. Like, I don't know. Can God do this? He can create it. Because here's what he said right here. When you go through the wilderness, you're going to need water. I'll just create a river. I don't know, God, can you do this? You know what? I can create a river in a wilderness. Anyways, all right, I, I called this message. Let me give you my title and we'll jump in because uh, we got to process a little bit and I only have two points. It, it, the message is not shorter, but um, this is the title that I gave this message. <laughs> it's the, the rule number one of Pastor Marty. Any points, a lot of points, the message is never shorter, okay? It's not going to happen. All right, so anyways, um, this is what I called the message. I called the message the nemesis of new. The nemesis of new. Let's pray. God, we pray today by your spirit, you would speak words of life that would transform us completely. God, so that we would embrace what is new. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... 
Amen. Um, I like the text because there again, told you the story. And, and now God is challenging them with this idea that I'm going to do something new. In fact, um, I've already began to do something new, right? Like God is always about the now and the new. We are always about the then and the old, right? Because we like the way things, remember the way things used to be? Like, I, I remember this, like, we, we ran into this, uh, um, my dad's a pastor, he's, he's here, my mama here, but they passed through when I was growing up, and, and uh, new worship came out. Now, the truth was, new worship had been coming out for years, but all of a sudden, we decided to do new worship, right? And so, we decided to do some new worship, and um, in doing some new worship, some people really struggled, because they're like, well, this is new, we, we, we've never done this before. It's probably right then. <laughs> like, have you ever met some people and they're a hot mess? And they're like, no, I never tried that. Probably should. <laughs> okay. But anyways, <laughs> sorry. But anyways, <laughs> might want to think about it because whatever you've been trying got you here. Something new might help you, sister. Anyways, um, <laughs> Y'all calm down, try and preach this message. So anyways, um, but, but that's what they would say because we were used to, to hymns and then, you know, after having hymns, which I love the hymns, don't send me an email, I love the hymns, I can sing them, I can, I can sing the first, third, and stand on the fifth better than any Baptist, and I can sing them by memory with my hands up better than any Pentecostal, so I got you wherever you're coming from, all right, but I got them. And so, and, and then we migrated uh, cautiously, circumspectly, there's a good King James Version word there, into courses, which were kind of like hymns, but with no verses. And we've been doing hymns and courses, and then all of a sudden, we started doing all this. Back then, it was like Hosanna Integrity and uh, Vineyard and some of that stuff was coming out. And so then we started singing those songs, and some people were like, mm, I don't like this. There's words on a screen. Need to be in a book. God can't anoint a screen. And, and, and people missed out on what God wanted to do in the area of worship because they were so contented and so, and so much clinging to the old. And because we tend to stay with old mindsets and old ideas and old ways of doing things, if we don't, if we're not careful, the old becomes the enemy of the new. What we're content with, happy with, feel secure in, feel, that's why we like the old. It's safe. It's secure. Oh, I know what I'm going to get here. Right? Like some people will never try a new restaurant because it's like, no, I don't know. I might not like that. Like my parents were over the other day, I offered to fix them some ahi tuna, seared ahi tuna. And, and, and I was laughing at them because my mom's like, is that raw? I'm like, that's the only way to eat it. Otherwise, it's fish sticks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, you don't want to take an ahi tuna steak and turn it into fish sticks. It's like, oh, honey, I'm going to send daddy to slams. Um, and so, <laughs> and so, but for me, I never would have thought I liked sushi, but I had a, a, a guy when I was a single adult pastor, this guy named Gary Sunlightner. He was crazy. He was wild. Good guy. But, but he would always want to go eat sushi. And I'd never eaten sushi before because it was raw. And he's like, no, no, you're going to like it. And I thought, you know, you can only live once and you can only die once. Let's eat some raw food. And I actually found out I like sushi. That was like 20 years ago. I still love sushi. Are you with me? But it's because I had to step away from the steak, which holds a dear place in my heart even still. But I had to try something new. And had I, had I just stayed contented and satisfied and secure in what I knew and what was comfortable, right, then I'd have never stepped into the new and I wouldn't be offering my parents ahi tuna steaks. Are you with me? Yeah. Right? And, and we, so many times, we like the, listen, this is how, we, we like the old so much that you will stay in something that is dysfunctional. You'll stay in something that doesn't even look like the word of God because stepping out of it is too scary, too unpredictable, it, we don't know what's right. 
Think about the Exodus. They bring, God brings them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness and they're like, we don't like the wilderness and we don't like manna. We want to go back to Egypt to our beds and our onions. Not even onion rings. Because how many you know when you anoint it with oil and deep fry it, all of a sudden it's a different thing. Jesus, help me preach. All right, so anyways, that's what an onion ring is. It's an anointed onion. Right, I'm all for it. And so anyways, but, but they keep wanting to go, they want to go, want to go back. And it's dysfunctional and it's living below the standard that God has called them to. But at least I know what I get here. Because between the homeland and the promised land, it feels like no man's land. See, the problem is we don't have a problem with the new thing. We have a problem with the space between the old thing and the new thing. Because God's customer service, um, God's customer service rating in the end, five stars. But in the middle, how many you know we got some doubts? Right? Like, like, oh God, I'm stepping in the new thing. And then you cross the Red Sea. And now you're in the, the wilderness. And you're like, are we lost? Have you got the ways? Anybody got ways on their iPhone like so we can find our way out of this? Right? Think about the apostle uh, Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul, right? God, God calls him to do something incredible, but you know how he did it? He knocked him off a horse and made him blind. I want to do something amazing. You ready to hit the dirt and be blind? No. Okay. Listen, you, you should write this down. Write this down. People with the highest tolerance for, for discomfort are the people God will use the most. Write that one down. People with the highest tolerance of, for discomfort, discomfort are the people. Listen, let me help you with something. God has never called one person to anything comfortable. If you are comfortable, I'm going to look right at that camera so no one in here thinks I'm talking to them. Because I don't know who's out there. If you are comfortable, it is not because God hasn't called you. It's because you still haven't moved. All right. So anyway, <laughs> but God never calls anyone to comfort. Look at Paul. Paul goes on to write 24% of the New Testament. But you know what he tells the Corinthians? Yeah, five times I was beaten 40 lashes minus one, 39, right? Five times. Not one time. Five times. And they didn't beat him 40 because they thought it would kill him. And he's like, three times I was beaten with rods. They let me off easy. And I was shipwrecked three times or five times, three times. Had all these perils. He's like, I've been stoned. And let me help my Colorado brothers. That is not what you're thinking stoned is. <laughs> Somebody in Colorado is like, I want to party with Paul. That's, no, that is not. You behave. You behave. Watching you. Anyway, so, um, but he's like, and then I've had all these dangers. I've been cold. I've been hungry, right? And, and it was like, well, wait a second. I thought God called him to do great things. He did extraordinary things. He preached a man to sleep. He literally preached a man to death and then raised him again. Like, I preached long. I've never preached anybody to death. This man fell asleep, fell out of the window, died. Paul raised him up, became an illustrated sermon on the resurrection. And so, um, <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is we're okay. We're okay with something new. But, but between the old and the new is what's scary for us. And what I found is the only way that you can step out is you have to trust the new more than, than clinging to the comfort of the old. Right, two words. Two, I, just, I don't even have two points. I have two words. And they're almost the same word except for one consonant. That's how easy I've made this message. <laughs> right? So the first, write this down. Forget. Forget. Um, Isaiah 43, 18. Forget the former things and don't dwell on the past. Um, think about Isaiah is talking to Israel and he's even referencing the greatest victory they had ever experienced, which is the Exodus, the Red Sea crossing, right? It's the most incredible victory. Most incredible miracle. 
Um, and here's what he said, forget that. Let's also think about Israel. How did they get into captivity? They turned their backs on God. They, they, they worshiped idols. They sinned greatly. So in essence, here's what he's telling them to forget. Forget, forget your wins, forget your losses. Forget your victories, forget your defeats. Why? Because clinging to a victory or clinging to a defeat, clinging to a win or clinging to a loss, both of them will keep you from what's new. Have you ever met the guy at the high school reunion that's still trying to win the, the championship game? Like he never went on to do anything like, you know, you say hello, you know, like there's like 80 years after high school that you can live, you know, and he is still trying or, or better yet, he won the championship game and never graduated on from that point. And he's still the quarterback and still winning the championship game and unemployed, <laughs> you know, and with cousin Eddie holding out for a management position. So anyways, I'm sorry, but, but, um, <clears throat> But the problem is, see, a, a past victory can make me uh, complacent. A past defeat can make me apathetic, both of which cause me to stay here. My sin will keep me from moving forward because I feel like I'm disqualified and the enemy would love to keep you here. My victory will keep me moving forward because the next win is uncertain, but this win is certain and I would rather stay here and talk about this victory and celebrate this win than trust God for the next win. With wins come contentment, with losses come apathy. And both of those are an enemy of what's new. Are you with me? Right? And, and I mean, you see it in church culture. People, well, I still remember those days. And, and I understand when you say forget, you're like, well, aren't we supposed to remember the promises of God and remember the miracles of God? Yes, but right here, he's giving them a different picture to say, you need to forget that. In, in fact, the word actually means stop talking about that. Stop talking about that. Why? Because I'm doing a new thing, right? So stop talking about that. Because your constant focus on the past is keeping you from being able to see the present and the future. Right? It's, it's the same thing with Paul. P Philippians 3.12, this is what, what Paul says. Not that I've already obtained all of this, or already arrived at my goal. In other words, right here, can you just say the word tension? Right? Discomfort, right? Tolerance for discomfort, tension. We were having a, a meeting <clears throat> and we were talking about discipling people staff, we were talking about it. And I said, you know what you have to have to disciple people? You have to have tension. In fact, you don't have to have tension. You have to create tension in them. Like to get you to move forward, you need to think there's something better. God has something more. I can grow more. Like tension is, is always a prerequisite to growth. In other words, what Paul said, I haven't obtained it. So what he's saying is I'm here, but God's called me to be there. If I don't know what, that's why we say connecting people to purpose, because if I don't know for which God has called me, I'll be content here. But if I know there's something more, it puts me in a tension where I have to trust God and move forward and grow and deal with me. Are you with me? So discipleship requires tension. So let me help you really quick. None of you are there yet. Now let's figure it out. Okay. So anyways, Paul says, not that I've obtained this or have any, or I've arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That, ooh, you should underline that in your Bible. Because here's the question. He said, I haven't yet laid hold of that for which God laid hold of me. Or Christ, here's my question. Why did God lay hold of you? That's the question. You got to answer that question. All right. So, so anyway, so brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it. But look at this. One thing I do. Forgetting what is behind straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Right? So here's what Paul said. I have to forget some things if I'm going to go, go, go forward. If I want to get out of the old, if I want to get into the new, I've got to forget some. What, is it, what does Paul have to forget? Well, he has to forget his victories. Because if you read just a few verses, he's like, listen, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Like, in other words, he has given his uh, spiritual credentials and they are all better than all of ours, okay? And so, <clears throat> like, you got a doctorate in theology. <laughs> you got a doctorate in Hebrew culture. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews of the tribe of Benjamin. A Pharisee of Pharisees, blameless according to the law, according to Paul. I mean, this guy, he, he, he gives all these credentials. And he said, you know what? But if I want to move forward with God, I got to forget that. I got to stop talking about that. 
right? The question isn't who have you been. The question is who does God want you to be? Because you ever met those people? Like as a pastor, you meet these people all the time. They got a little business card and it's got 87 titles on it. And my question is, okay, pastor, apostle, teacher, evangelist, (laughs) Bob. um, (laughs) The question isn't what have you been? The question is what is God doing today? It's not who were you. It's who is God creating you to be? And Paul said, you know what, if I'm going to get to where, if I'm going to lay hold of the thing for which God has laid hold of me, I'm going to have to forget some victories. You know, I was watching this thing, because have y'all noticed in ESPN right now, it's weird, because we don't have any sports. And so the other day, this is no lie, I turned it on, and there apparently you can play professional cornhole. Did y'all see this? Did y'all see this? I was amazed. I'm like, I thought it was a backyard barbecue game. I'm like, how do you talk trash in cornhole? I'm going to hit my, I'm going to hit your beanbag with my beanbag. Oh yeah, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you, I'm calling you out. And then I turned one on the other day. It was a Peloton race. You know Pelotons are stationary. Man, he's really ahead. No, he's not. They're side by side. They look like two hamsters trying to get to the water. Anyway, I'm sorry. But I have watched some good things on ESPN. I thank God for ESPN. But anyways, but but on ESPN, I've been watching the Bulls documentary. Awesome. You should watch it. If you're not a basketball fan, you should watch it. Um, And if you're a basketball fan, you should memorize it. But anyways, um, because it's like, I don't want to be disrespectful. It's kind of the gospel. Um, Not the gospel of God, but kind of the gospel of basketball. Anyways, um, People are like, can he say that in church? Is he allowed to say that? I just did. And so anyways, um, it was not sacrilegious. Um, but I also watched Tiger Slam. And this is another one you can watch, Tiger Slam, where he won. He held all four majors at the same time starting in 2000 and 2001. Like, and he, he starts by winning like the U.S. Open by 15 shots, right? So he just won the, the U.S. Open by 15 strokes, which is a record that will never be broken. I promise you. It will never be broken unless they let me play a major against infants. That's my best shot, right? And so uh, it will never be broken. And, and Noda Begay, who was on Tiger's team at Stanford, and he's now an analyst, but um, he, he, re, he he recounted Colin Tiger af- the day after he won the U.S. Open by 15 strokes. And he said, hey, Tiger, what are you doing? And Tiger said this, I'm on the, I'm on the driving range. What? You just won the major. Some people never win majors. The day after the major, you're on the... And here's what I realized. This is why Tiger was so good. <clears throat> he, had, he, had, he was really good at forgetting victories. Uh, okay, Here, here's this. So, so forget victories and then, and then forget, forget losses. Forget losses. Like, um, think about Paul because Paul is persecuting Christians. I mean, that was his history before he came to Jesus, right? So think about how the enemy would love to use that to keep him tied to the past because the enemy wants to keep you tied to the past, Right? And what Paul said is, I had to forget those things was behind. I got wins and losses. See, the enemy is, he's known as the accuser of the brethren. And you know why he's so lethal? Because he accuses you with what really happened. Your past. And he always wants to talk to you about your past because as long as he can keep you looking backward or tied to your past, he will keep you away from the new thing that God wants to do in your life. Right? I like what he says, forget, talk, forget about is stop talking about it. Like maybe you need to stop talking about something. Like maybe it was a chapter in your life, but it doesn't need to be in every chapter of your life. Because you're four chapters later and people can ask you about the weather and you're still telling them what happened three chapters ago. Like maybe it's a chapter in your story, but it doesn't have to be the title of your book. 
Maybe you need to stop talking about it and forget about it. Like Paul can say, yeah, I persecuted Christians and just that was a chapter, but it wasn't the whole story. I'm not going to let that chapter define the book. I'm going to let God title this book and just understand that was one chapter. It was something that happened. It was something I did. It is not who I am and it will not define all of my story. Right? And when Satan comes to accuse me, you know what I mean? He can only talk to you about your past because Satan doesn't know about your future. In fact, if Satan is talking to you about your future, he is lying because he doesn't know your future. I mean, the Holy Spirit will prophesy. Satan will prophesy. <laughs> but he doesn't know your story. So here's how you know. If all of a sudden you're getting these, these foreboding prophetic feelings... Satan is talking to you about this is going to go wrong. That's going to happen. They're going to leave this. Then here's what you know. Oh, that's all a lie because he doesn't know. Satan always reminds us of our sin. God reminds us of our righteousness. I mean, think about Israel. They've been in captivity because they turned their back on God. And this is the way Isaiah 43 starts out. Fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are are mine. All right, so you got to forget, and then you got to forge. Here's the second thing. You got to forge, forge. Isaiah 43, 19. See, it's just like forget. Just don't put the T on it. Isaiah 43, 19. It says, see, I'm doing a new thing. It springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Um. So Isaiah now, is, or God, is expressing his desire to use Israel. That's what these chapters are about. Expressing his desire to use Israel to bring about his salvation, which ultimately he does to, to the ends of the, the earth, right? But, but here's what he says. He says, I'm doing a new, a new thing. So in some way, he is definitely prophesying towards the, mess, the Messiah and the new covenant and all those things. But, but also in this moment, he is talking about the new thing that he wants to do in and through them, which is taking them out of Babylonian captivity, which now they're free to go, and bringing them back to the land of promise where, where he's purposed and destined them. Um, and, and then he says this, didn't you already perceive it? In other words, this is it's pro tip right here, but this is why a relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important. Because what he's saying is, you didn't perceive it, didn't you already see it? In other words, if you're walking closely with the Holy Spirit, he will help you not to miss things you could have missed another way. Like he will reveal to you, he will speak to you, he will guide you into all truth. And, and I just want to put that in there and say that because I think that where our church is going and, and hopefully where you're going, I think there's a greater dependency and there is a greater um, honoring of the Holy Spirit that is necessary for, let, for letting him speak and letting him guide and letting him um, glorify Jesus through the church, right? A sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And, and he's like, don't you, it's already started. Don't you perceive it? Don't you see it? Here's what he's saying. I'm already moving. You got to get in sync with me. And the way we stay in sync with God is the Holy Spirit. Are, are you with me? And so, and then he's talking about this. He said, you know, I'm already doing this, this new thing. And he said, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert or streams in the wasteland. A way in the wilderness, streams in the desert. So you write these two things down and then I'll be done. The first one is, here's what he's saying. A way in the wilderness. Here's what he's telling them. I'm doing a new thing and it's a path you didn't see. A path you didn't see. Um, <clears throat> what would keep them from seeing what God is doing? Probably expecting it to look like what he's already done. So, so what would keep you, keep me, keep us from stepping into the new thing that God is doing? Looking for something familiar. Because when I'm looking for what God's already done, it's familiar. If he moved this way, you know, that time he'll move this way again. How many know we would love it if God was a formula? Right? I mean, if God was a formula and he worked by formulas and he always did, like when this happens, this. And when that happens, this. 
right? Wouldn't that be so easy? And how many know God is not a formula? He's a person. And so he's never in the box. If you think you got God in a box, you've got an empty box. <laughs> he's, he's never in the box, right? God doesn't move by formula. And so most of the time, if we're not careful, we will look to where God has been and miss where God is. We will look to the way God has moved and miss how he is moving. And here's what he said. Between Babylon and the promised land, they've got to go through a wilderness. And this is what he's saying. Don't you already perceive it? And here's the problem. It was a path they didn't see. He said, no, I'm making a path. They're like, there's not a path. Yes, if God has called you to something, it should look like there's no path. Let it bless you. <laughs> do you hear what I'm saying? How do I know God called me? Can you get through there? No, there's no path. Yep, head that way. It was a path they didn't see. There's no way through the wilderness. There's no way to get there. This is a, this is a path that, that, that they, they didn't see. But the path is removed, the path is revealed by the movement. Some people would find their path. If you would just move, like King Julian, you got to move it, move it. You know what I'm <laughs> but here's the point. It was a path they didn't know to look for. It was a path they couldn't see. It was a path that, that, wasn't, that wasn't obvious to them. You know what I think about this? this is so crazy. Let me just give you a picture. They're talking about the Exodus. When they came out of Exodus, you know what the problem was? They didn't have dry land and they had too much water, the Red Sea. And God made a path. That's what he was just read. He made a path, dry land, through the sea. Now what he's telling them is, I want you to go in this path that's all dry land and no water. And I'll put water. Like, are you getting this? Because so many times we're looking for blessings where we found them yesterday. And so many times what is a barrier in one season becomes a blessing in the next season. And what was the blessing in this season becomes the barrier in the next season. The land was the blessing in the Exodus, but it's a barrier to them now. They were praying for dry land here. Now they're looking at like, no, we can't cross that much dry land. He's not a formula. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? And if we're not careful, we'll think because this was the blessing last time, we'll be looking for the blessing in the same place when the blessing is in a new place because God is doing a new thing. You know, sometimes like we as water, we're like, people are like water, meaning that we like the path of least resistance and God never calls us to that path. Right? He calls us to the uphill path. Remember Robert Frost, like a hundred years ago, wrote this poem, The Road Less Traveled. And it was written because one of his friends kept lamenting over choosing the wrong path, if you will. And so he writes this whole poem about this guy that sees these two paths. Um, I got Madonna and Robert Frost. Same message, anointed. And so anyways, um, <laughs> Ethel, turn that boy off. Um, anyways, um, but, but the whole idea was he ran to two paths. One had been taken, one had not. He took the path that was not taken, less taken. And it ends by saying it made all the difference. And that's what I'm saying. We as a people, we as a church, the church in general, maybe this is a season where we look for a path that hasn't been taken. I mean, I feel like, quite honestly, in my own life, I'm walking in a path I never saw. A path I, I, didn't, I didn't want. But yet, walking it with the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit because this is just what it is. Are you with me? And we have to be able to accept a path we didn't see and realize that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. But for God to make a way where there seems to be no way, you have to pick a way where there is no way. Because if you keep picking the way where there is a way, he can't make a way where there seems to be no way because you picked the way that was the way. 
I'm not saying it again. I'll end up cussing and somebody will leave. So <laughs> here's the thing. Write this down. Write this down. I'll finish it. Write this down. So, so it, was, it was a path they didn't see and then a miracle they hadn't seen. It was a path they didn't see, but it was a miracle. A way through, through the desert, right? Rivers. I'll make rivers in the wasteland. Well, what is that? When God makes a river, it's called a miracle. Like, I like that. He didn't say, I'll lead you to a river. He said, I'll, oh, come on, put this in the context of your own life. You're sitting here hoping God's going to lead you to provision. He's like, I am provision. I don't have to take you to a job. I can provide for you where you're at. Like, do, you, do y'all see that? Like, I just create a river. Yeah, because I'm God. I don't know, God, can you do it? He's like, well, I, I snuffed and all of Egypt died, and, uh, or at least the armies. And uh, I'm going to make this path here, but if there's not water, I'll just make a river. So it was a path they hadn't taken, a miracle they hadn't seen. Two things are constant throughout the Bible, and that is a God who wants to do miracles and a people through which he does miracles. Two things that are consistent and constant throughout the Bible. Read your Bible. Right? I mean, he starts off with Adam, but then, I mean, the whole initiation of what we call faith, you've heard me say this, Abraham. Why did Abraham believe God? Because God promised a miracle. How was God going to do the miracle? Through Abraham and Sarah. What was he going to do? He's going to give them, they wanted a baby. He wanted a nation. He gave them the miracle of the baby and got the miracle of a nation. It, it's, a, it's, it's a God who, listens to this word, please, desires miracles, desires to do miracles, and a people that he calls to do miracles through. This is constant throughout the Bible. Well, I don't know, Pastor. Take that to the New Testament. Go into all the world. Now, these are red letters. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Jesus told them to do four things that we put off limits to the modern day church. Because we've made them figuratively or figurative or spiritually, but not actually physically, which is how they were intended. Yes, well, we raise people to new life. No, no, he said raise the dead. Raise the dead. Like, you go study it. He's talking about mortally dead. Um, <clears throat> let me read some more scripture from your Bible. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight. I didn't write this last night. Paul wrote this. Here's what he said. Watch this. And God has appointed. Okay, let's talk about the word appointed. That means to set in, meaning he desired it, right? You don't appoint things you don't desire. Can we all agree? I will never appoint Brussels sprouts to any meal. I have no desire for them, right? If you love them, bless you. Keep them. They stink. May the Lord be with you on that, right? I mean, you can't even deep fry a Brussels sprout. Like, we can deep fry almost anything, and it come out better, right? Just anoint it, and all of a sudden, it's better. That's what frying something is. Like, the oil, ooh, it's anointed, right? And so, but, but you can't anoint a Brussels sprout, and it turn out good. No. It's just, you either like them the way they are, or you don't, and I don't. So I would, so I would never appoint one to a meal, because I don't like them. Look at what God says. So if he's appointing something, it's his desire. It's what, he, it's what he wants, what he likes. And God has appointed in the church first, let's look at this, apostles, second prophet, third teachers. And then look at this. God has appointed in the church miracles. Then gifts of healing. 
then helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Isn't it funny how God wants things in the church that we work to keep out of it? Well, I felt the Holy Spirit on that one right there. We create completely theological systems to keep out the things that God specifically said he wanted in the church. We've got whole, whole theological mindsets and defendable ologies <laughs> against miracles. God doesn't do miracles. God doesn't do healings. God doesn't want people to speak in tongues. There are no apostles. There are no prophets. And, and then you just read the Bible. And it says, God appointed. Did God change his mind? Oh, it was Malachi say, I am, I am God. I do not change. Oh, he didn't change his mind. We changed ours. Because somewhere it was uncomfortable or it didn't look quite right or it went wrong. And we just said, oh, we got to get that out. So let's create a doctrine. God doesn't do those things anymore. God, God doesn't really want us to believe. Listen, we have a responsibility to believe, pray for, and expect the miraculous. It is a mandate from God. If you are the church, he has appointed to the church miracles. And we have a mandate and we have a responsibility, or we say that we have a responsibility, and we have an authority, right? Because what? We have the Holy Spirit, and what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Now, we like some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but some of the gifts we don't want to talk about. I'm all about the gift of faith, Pastor. I just believe in God for the gift of faith. Praise the Lord. Let's talk about the gift of tongues. Nope. Uh-uh. No. That's over. <laughs> Made me nervous. Let's talk about the gift of healing or the gift of working of miracles. I think the church will be full of miracles when the church finally gets full of the Holy Spirit. And I just filtered out some things that I wanted to say, and I'm very proud of myself in this moment. Because I was going to talk about the things that I feel like the modern church is full of. <laughs> but we need to be full of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not weird, and you don't have to be weird to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There are weird people who are full of the Holy Spirit, but they were weird before the Holy Spirit found them, okay? That's, that's not on the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? I mean, some people don't know how to cook steak, but it's not the cow's fault. Are you with me? But, but I believe, listen, it's a word for us. A path we didn't see and miracles we haven't seen. A path we didn't see and miracles we haven't seen. As, as a church, I can only speak for our church. As a church, we have a responsibility and an authority to believe for, anticipate, and expect the miraculous. To pray for miracles. To pray for healing. And listen, we don't need to make excuses for God. Because I feel like there's, there's like these whole doctrines that we have to, well, you know, let's not pray because then God might and he might not. And just do what the Bible says. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out demons. Let's just go work on that this week. Why? Because the Bible said so. Because Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One, said so. Remember when your parents used to, but why? Because I said so. <laughs> Jesus said so. Stop arguing with him. <laughs> but let's for our church in this next season, this next season, I'm going to talk more about this, but in this next season, I think this is the thing. We have to look, we have to take the path, look for the path we didn't even know to expect, didn't even know to see, didn't even know it was there. And then we need to look for and expect and anticipate the miracles we haven't seen. New miracles, new miracles. New miracles. Are you with me? New miracles. Like the day of miracles has not stopped. And that's what Isaiah is telling. No, he's going to make a river in the way. It's a miracle. Why? He's doing something new. 
And with new, with the new comes a new path and new miracles. Are you with me? Amen. Can you stand? If you're in this room, you can stand at home, but let's give Jesus praise for his word and accept it and say, thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. And then let's, let's take a moment, bow our heads. Even if you're in your living room, wherever you're at, obviously, if you're in this room, but let's bow our heads, take a moment and say, God, we just surrender in this moment to you. God, I pray. I just want to pray this over you. God, I pray for a faith in miracles. Come on, would you just, as a church, can we just say yes to it? I'm not asking you to go work a miracle. You don't have to turn water into wine today. I'm just saying, could you just set your heart in alignment? God's doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? He's already started. In other words, let's walk in sync with him and let's open our hearts and say, God, we, 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 we want a faith and an expectancy, an urgency, a tenacity. God, for miracles... God, I just pray new miracles today. God, over our church. God, a baptism in faith to believe you for paths we didn't see and miracles we haven't seen. New paths, new miracles. New paths, new miracles today. God, baptize us in a faith and expect baptize us in the Holy Spirit fill us full of your spirit full of your spirit God as you're just praying your heads are bowed eyes closed I want to take a moment if you're in this room and or if you're watching online you may have your prayer journal but Ask this question, what's, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? God, I just pray you'd speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, strengthen us, build us up, speak to us. And as you're listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit, I just wanna to speak to anyone, maybe you're in this room, maybe you're not, maybe you're watching online but you need a relationship with God. You need a new relationship. God is always about the new, the new covenant, new mercies, new creation makes all things new. He's about the new. And you need a relationship with him. And I'd like to pray for you if, you, if that's you. He's like, I just feel the Holy Spirit. I need to trust God. I need to surrender. I need to give God all of my life. So if you're in this room, you're watching online, let's just pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for these that God need a relationship with you. They need a new relationship and it's with you. And if that's you, you could just say, this, this could be your prayer. God, I believe in Jesus Christ. God, I desire to be a new creation in Christ. I want you to make all things new. So I ask you to forgive me and make me a new person and help me to follow you into what you have for me. It's not what's next. It's what's new. God, for all of us, we're not looking at what was normal. We're not looking at what could be next. God, we want to walk in what is new. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise? He is so, so good. And uh, awesome. Been great having you with us online. Great having you in the room. I love you all. I can't wait to see you next weekend. God bless you. Until then, go and take over your world. Amen.